What's up, Hug Fam? This is Justin, your 30-second host, and welcome to episode number 128. Hey, thank you so much for joining us online. And last week, we had our family picnic, and yes, we got to hang out together, spend some time in worship, do some emergency preparedness training with our Dragon Kim Foundation, and we got to, we get to send off Pastor Anthony as he plants Vessel Church. So thank you all for coming to the park. For this week, we are following up after Pastor Deborah's message on godly femininity with godly masculinity. So without further ado, here's Pastor Chef Eddie Park. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Eddie, and I'm the founding and teaching pastor here at HUG. And question of the day was, what would be your last meal on planet Earth? What would it be? Would it be Chicago deep dish pizza? Yum. Or would it be Two pints of your favorite ice cream. My favorite is Rocky Road, by the way, if you're interested. Or would it be just a big bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken? Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. I'm not talking about Korean Fried Chicken. I'm talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Or would it be the classic steak and eggs? Mmm, I would love some steak and eggs. Well, for me, my last meal would probably definitely be Benihana. Benihana, yeah, I don't know if people know this about me, but teppanyaki, also known as flat top Japanese hibachi grill, is my favorite thing to eat. And you know what? Hopefully, someone out there, uh, maybe some of you guys said that your last meal would be my smoked brisket, and I'd be very honored if you said that. Well, last week, we got to hear from our friend Deborah Dew, all the way from New York at Blueprint Ministry, and she gave a great message on how to be feminine in a godly way, redeeming femininity beyond the cliches. And if you're on our Zoom call where we all get to watch the service together, we got a special treat because Deborah actually came on our Zoom call after the service and we got to do some Q&A and discussion with her. And one of the things that came up during the discussion was this idea that biblically men and women are both called to display what we understand to be the masculine attributes and the feminine attributes of God. For example, Paul displays at many times, he he displayed being motherly and displaying the feminine attributes to the churches that he planted. But in our discussion, we got to also talk about how not only biblically do we carry both the so-called masculine and feminine attributes of the fruit of the spirit but also when we look at science physiologically biologically both men and women produce two hormones testosterone and estrogen and even though biologically a man produces testosterone more naturally than they do estrogen they need both same with a biological woman who produces more naturally estrogen than they do testosterone, but they need and produce both, which supports the point that men are not supposed to only display the so-called masculine attributes of God, which is not a good way to put it, but I don't know any way else to put it. And women are not supposed to only display the so-called feminine attributes of God, but they are called to display both. And I loved how Deborah asked, how do we be feminine? in a godly way, which naturally wants me to ask the question for this Sunday, well then how do we be masculine in a godly way? And maybe this goes beyond masculine and feminine. Maybe we need to take a step back and even ask ourselves, 
how do we be human in a godly way? Well, what does it mean to just be human? Because God created us to be human. And you could say that why, why the world is, is full of pain and suffering is because we have chosen to not be human. Well, Eddie, what do you mean by that? What do you mean we have chosen not to be human? Well, whether you are more masculine or more feminine, what's really the fundamental issue is that we have abandoned the vocation of being fully human. If we go back, if we go back all the way to the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, when God created human beings, there were two callings that God gave to all human beings, whether you're male or female, more masculine or feminine. One is to be the image bearers of God to the rest of creation. In other words, to be the representation of all of God's attributes, feminine, masculine, to be the bridge between God and the rest of creation. Secondly, God commands us and gives us this, this calling to rule and have dominion and reign over the animal kingdom and the rest of creation. So one, to image bear, to represent God, which is a very priestly calling, and two, to rule and reign, to govern, to organize, to lead, to administrate, which is a very kingly, queenly, royal work. In other words, to be fully human is to fulfill the call of being a priest, an image bearer, and the call of a ruler, a governor, a manager, a king or a queen. But what happened is that when sin entered the world, humans actually rejected the call to be an image bearer and gave up their power and authority to creatures that were lower than them. When it should have been humans subduing the serpent, in the end, it was the serpent that subdued the human being. And now we've lost all dominion. Now I, I, you know, I'm against animal cruelty 100%, but our society has moved to a point where we treat animals better than we do human beings, where we fight for the rights of chickens and free range pigs and whatever, grasshoppers, who knows, right? Over children who are being trafficked and abused where we rather raise dogs and puppies than we would raise children. And if you understand the Old Testament, especially Genesis, the design of God has been for us as humans to image bear and to govern. And this is so that the world experiences something called shalom. Shalom. Now I know shalom in literal translation means peace, but the biblical idea of shalom means so much more. It means something closer to perfection or fitting perfectly, fits exactly right or interwoven. And so when we see quickly after Adam and Eve, in their two sons, just one generation after, Cain and Abel, that the masculine attributes have become severely corrupted and tainted. Again, it's interesting how Cain and Abel, both boys, by the way, sons, displaying what we've been talking about as the masculine and feminine attributes of God. Cain, very aggressive, very assertive, Abel, very gentle, honest, trustworthy. But Cain, in particular, in his anger, as we know in the story, I spoke about it about a month ago, murders his brother Abel. 
Now, we we need to stop and pause here. It's one thing if your father or grandfather or even great-grandfather modeled very toxic, hurtful, harmful masculinity for you. But with Cain, we're talking about like the second man that ever existed in human history, all right? Which means that masculinity has been passed down and modeled from generation to generation, has been corrupted since almost the beginning of time. And from there, we see this snowball effect in Genesis chapter 3 to 11. We see this in Adam, all the way to Cain and Abel, to Noah and his sons, where God had to flood the entire world. And God thought that that would work. But then again, Noah and his sons, their generation of people still did not reign and rule that led to shalom and instead led to violence, even more violence. Now God... God decided to start again with this man named Abraham. But this time, instead of trying to restart the human, entire human race like he did with Adam to Noah, God decided to focus on one family, one tribe, one people group, and, and see how that goes. Well, as many of you know, even just focusing on one group of people, one race, one nation, God still had a hard time because that trait that was passed down all the way from Adam and Eve still makes us run away from fulfilling our role and duty as human beings to be image bearers and to rule and take ownership and dominion. And quite frankly, the entire New Testament, there are not many great models of masculinity. I think there are probably more examples of women in the Bible who are great than probably men, but that's just my opinion. And And it isn't until we get to Jesus in the New Testament that we finally see something good, some hope for our human race. And when we think about masculinity, of course, Jesus is a great model and example. But I'll tell you what, there is a story in the Bible that is talked about a lot. And this character is often referenced when it comes to the topic of masculinity and a godly model of masculinity. And I'll be honest with you, When I started to read this story again, I 100% agree. And the story that I'm talking about today is the story of the centurion in the Gospel of Luke. Yes, to refresh some of your memories, this is the story in the Gospel of Luke where a centurion, a Roman soldier, asked Jesus to heal his servant. Now, some of you might have read this story or glanced over it. And just didn't think too much about it. It's just another story of Jesus healing somebody. But the details of this story are great. And I want to read this story quickly for us and then talk a little bit about it. So let's read together from Luke chapter 7, verse 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you, uh, I, uh, with soldiers under me, I tell this one go and he goes. And I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Wow. Wow. I can't believe I skipped that story so many times without even pausing to, to think about the significance of this story in the Gospel of Luke. And this is the first thing I want to point out when it comes to masculinity, because a lot of people talk about how this story is a model for godly masculinity. And the first thing I want to point out is masculinity means responsibility, responsibility. All right. It says that the centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Then the centurion heard that of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And I want to pause right here because look, think about it. This Roman soldier, this Roman soldier didn't have to go, didn't have to take care of his servant. And I know this is really controversial, but the right translation in the Bible is slave, right? How many people care and take care of their servants and slaves? How many bosses do you know take responsibility for their, uh, for their employees or even their children for, for a fact? So we see again here this masculinity of uh, of the centurion taking care and taking responsibility for everyone that is under him or under his care and authority. We contrast that with Abraham. You think Abraham was a man of faith. He's always known to be a man of faith, but even Abraham sold out his wife multiple times to try to get out of a situation. So here we see a big contrast with the centurion and the great man of faith, Abraham. Now, the second thing I want to point out is this. Second is masculinity means credibility. All right, we, we're going to read this passage in the passage we just read. When they came to Jesus, the, the elders of the Jews, they pleaded earnestly with Jesus. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, again, you might read this and it's like, that's nice that they would say that and vouch for him. But it is, there are huge implications with that part of the story. Because remember, the centurion is a Roman. He is a Gentile. He is a Greek. And to have elders of the Jews who are, who basically hated the Romans, who hated the Roman Empire, who are hostile to anyone that is not a Jew, is vouching for this centurion officer, this Roman officer, to Jesus. And so that's huge. Masculinity has a, is an aspect where you have credibility. How many of us would our enemies, right? Or if you are conservative, how many, how many liberals would vouch for your character and defend you? 
If you are a Democrat, how many Republicans will defend you for your honor? If you are white, if you are an Asian business owner, how many in the black community, if you were being attacked, how many would come to the defense of your store and your safety, right? There's an aspect of masculinity has credibility, especially against those who should normally hate you in society or be hostile to you in society. So it's a great thing to point out that the elders of the Jews actually defend and fight for this Roman centurion. Number three, number three, masculinity means humility, okay? Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, again, we read this and in our common modern age, we think this isn't masculine. Being modest, knowing your place, trying to prop somebody else up or honor them, that's not masculine. Well, I'll tell you, it is because he knew his place when it came to Jesus. He knew when it came to his, his place and status, when it came to purity, morality, ethics, uh, integrity when it came to Jesus and he knew that that's what is matter and so he placed himself and said I am not worthy I understand that Jesus and so masculinity means humility you don't come you know I'll, I'll give you an example you know everybody knows and I talk about a lot that I'm not the best at basketball right I don't score the most points I might score the least amount of points maybe the third best points right but I don't ever walk onto a basketball court and act like I should get the ball all the time, right? Because I deserve it. No, because it's not congruent with, with where I am, right? I am humble. I understand that I need to grow and, I, and, and that there are people that are better than me, more skilled than I am on the floor. Again, masculinity doesn't mean you just showing up and showing off no matter what your skill level or rank is. No, masculinity takes great humility in, in seeing and acknowledging when people are, are, are higher and more worthy than you are. Lastly, masculinity means authority. And now that might trigger a lot of people, right? Because why should they have authority just because they're masculine? Well, I wanna tell you that whether you're a man or a woman, you can have masculine energy and lead and have authority. But what is truly godly and masculine is having authority that is under authority. And it's very, very crucial in this passage where it says in verse 8, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. I tell that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. Again, how many of us know, you know the scariest person to be around? It is a, number one, is a startup founder of a high growth startup. It is a CEO of a publicly traded Fortune 500 company. And it is a founding pastor, founding senior pastor of a church plant. Okay, you know why? Because there's not much authority above those people. And it's so tempting when you're on top of those mountains, on top of those organizations, how you are so tempted to feel like you are God and you are the sovereign authority. But, but as we know, truly being masculine is having checks and balances, knowing that you are always under authority in some way. When, when, when we started this church, I made sure to join 
a denomination. I was very, very adamant that we join a denomination. We are part of the ECC, the Covenant Church denomination. And part of that denomination, we are part of a conference called the Pacific Southwest Conference that has superintendents, directors, and I always submit under their authority. If any of you have a problem with me, if, if, if I am acting unethically in, 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 in over uh, lording over my power and authority in an unbiblical and unloving way, you guys have an authority to turn to. There is, I'm always under authority. And so there is this aspect where being un, having authority, but also being under authority. Now, again, this story has so much. This simple short story about a Roman centurion how can it unpack so many attributes and so many, so many principles and points and truths about being masculine in a godly way? Well, how do we be masculine in a godly way? Well, I'll tell you, just like the conversation we had about femininity, masculinity is not being aggressive. It's not about being physical, not about being the strongest or even the bravest. Because in many cases, in many circumstances, those forms of masculine have been passed down and often lead to violence and hurting others. But for us, masculinity is responsibility, is credibility, humility, and authority with accountability. And I wanna close our time together that we have on this Sunday by praying, by praying for us, praying for anyone who has been affected by very hurtful and harmful forms of masculinity in their lives. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your grandfather. Maybe it was your older brother or male figure in your life. Maybe you are a woman who have been abused, maybe physically or verbally or psychologically by an ex boyfriend, partner, or spouse, and you carry those scars with you in your present day today. Maybe you are a son of a dad who was very, very harsh and made you feel emasculated. I want to I wanna pray for a time of healing. So if that's you, I want to I ask you if you can put one hand over your heart. And this is something I do when I, when I personally ask God for healing in my life. I just put a hand over my heart. And maybe some of you want to put two hands over your heart or maybe cross your arms like this. But I want to pray a prayer of healing for everyone who is listening. So let's pray together. God, I want to pray for all my brothers and my sisters who have experienced the pain and suffering of someone that have might have abused their authority, that have abused their, their gift of masculinity that you passed down to them. And God, especially for the sisters right now, for the sisters who have been hurt by their fathers or older brothers, who have been abused, who have been mistreated, who have been um, treated downward, who've been belittled, condescended, who are made to feel weak. God, I pray that you see them now, that you 
you see their pain. And in this moment, as they're listening, as they hear this prayer, as we pray to you, that you will pour down your healing upon them. Pour down your healing upon them. I pray that their heart and their soul will be filled with forgiveness. And maybe not today, but that process of forgiveness and healing will begin today. And God, I pray for all the sons. I pray for the sons and the boys that have experienced harshness from their fathers and male figures in their life, feeling insecure walking around about how masculine they need to be, how they're not strong enough, how they're not brave enough, how they're not physical enough, how they're not ambitious enough, how they're not assertive enough. God, I pray that the lies of the enemy, the lies that cause us to be insecure and fear and walk in that fear, God, I pray that you would break the chains of those lies and those spirits that are causing us to feel this emptiness and insecurity and worthlessness. God, I pray that we look to Christ, we look to Jesus, and we look to the centurion who models godly masculinity for us, taking care of people that we are overseeing and have authority over, being responsible, having a good reputation amongst our enemies and those who might disagree with us, being humble. It's not, it's not not masculine to be humble. May we be more humble. May we be a humble generation in this lifetime. And may we be, have authority and exercise authority, but knowing that we are ultimately under your authority and that we are not the sovereign authority over anything. So God, I hope that you, as you re redeemed some of our feminine worldviews last week, that you would help us renew and redeem some of the masculine ones for both of our sisters and brothers that are listening to this. So God, we pray all these things. We pray for your healing. And we know that your name, the name of Jesus, has the power to heal us and to begin us on this healing journey. So God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Have a great Sunday, everyone.